Bonjour, I'm Valérie Jardin, the host of Street Focus, and you're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. TWIP is brought to you by Panasonic Lumix Cameras, changing photography for the next generation. And FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. To try FreshBooks for free, just go to freshbooks.com slash TWIP, and when you sign up, enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And Animoto. Join over 10 million people who use Animoto and the power of video to share what matters most. To get 15% off your new pro account today, just go to animoto.com slash TWIP and enter the code TWIP. Before we dive into this week's show, here's a quick look at what's happening this week on the TWIP Network. Over on The Candid Frame, our newest show, Iberian X Perillo sits down with set photographer Doug Hume. And on Street Focus, it's a Q&A episode with Levi Shand. And on The Fix, John Paul Capernegro joins Jan to discuss printing and proofing. And on your itinerary, Rob Knight chats with Lee Starnes about life on the road. And over on All About the Gear, Doug and Gordon tackle the Nikon D5500. And also, Doug wants you to know that he still has a few slots open for his November workshop in Cuba. For complete info on that workshop, just go over to DougK.com slash workshops. All that and more is happening this week on the TWIP Network. You can subscribe to any or all of our shows over at thisweekinphoto.com slash subscribe. This is TWIP, episode 415, Google Photos and the Paranoia of Free. Photo management on the Google network has seen many incarnations and reincarnations. First, there was Picasa, a strong tool that many people still use today. Then there was Google Plus Photos, where the company sought to tie in your social photography into your social media footprint. And now there's Google Photos, no more plus. But did they get it right? I don't think there has ever been as many choices for where we store our precious photos as there are today. We've got Adobe with the Creative Cloud, Apple with the iCloud Photo Library, Flickr with their unlimited storage and community, 500 Pics with their gorgeous UI, SmugMug, Zenfolio, Mylio, the list goes on and on. But the basic issue that many of us are struggling to solve is this. Where do I store and back up my professional work and how should I maintain and share my personal stuff? I've been personally struggling with this problem over the past year or so. I had high hopes that with the release of Apple Photos and the iCloud Photo Library that my problems would be solved. But upon deeper inspection, the way Apple Photos deals with folders, that is by ignoring them, didn't exactly work for me. Also, Apple has a paid one terabyte limit. And since I've got decades of photos and my data footprint exceeds one terabyte, that's also a huge limiter for me. Now, enter Google Photos and the promise of unlimited storage, cloud-based photo editing, uh, auto sorting, and more. And again, I got excited and uh, I've tried out the service a bit, but as you'll hear in this week's roundtable discussion, there are still some gotchas and the same old questions about privacy, terms of service, and the fear of Google misusing our data has come up yet again. 
to discuss Google Photos and other topics this week. I'm joined by the host of The Candid Frame, Mr. Iberian X. Perillo, and the host of The Digital Story, Mr. Derek Story. It's Monday, June 1st, 2015, and this is TWIP. All right, folks, joining me for a roundtable discussion on Google I.O. and other topics are the man behind the newest addition to the TWIP network. It's a show called The Candid Frame, and that's Mr. Iberian X. Perillo. Hey, man. Hey, man. Good to be here. Good to have you on. We're going to talk about that addition to the TWIP network in a second here. Also, the host of one of my favorite podcasts, The Digital Story, Mr. Derek Story. Hey, Derek. Hey, good evening to you. Good evening. We got some stuff to talk about on the show tonight. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's all about Google and Google I.O. <laughs> <laughs> that was last week. And lots, you know, with any big announcements like that, that rocks the, the photo world, there's there's uh, fanboys and detractors, and they all came out with their pitchforks and and kudos about the service. We're going to dive into all of that stuff and kind of get to the bottom of it. Before we do that, very next, we talked, you know, I alluded a second ago to the fact that you were the newest addition to the TWIP network, the Candid Frame. Tell us about that a little bit, how that's going for you, where people can find the show and all that good stuff. Oh, well, well thanks. Uh, thanks, Frederick. Good to be here. Um, yeah, I've been producing the, the Candid Frame for going on 10 years next year, so it's going to be a decade. And, um, you know, it's it's an interview show which features conversations with some of the world's best photographers. Um, sadly, Mary Ellen Mark, who, uh, who passed away this week, was a guest uh, about a year and a half ago. So uh, I tweeted out that conversation. So if people know of Mary Ellen Mark, but they've not really heard that the interview, I really recommend they check it out. But along with that, I've had conversations with like Douglas Kirkland, Sam Abel, um, just, you know, some of the, the biggest names in photography I've had the chance to sit down and talk to, as well as some people that uh, people may not have heard uh, about, but whose work is no less no less amazing. So um, a couple of months back, I talked to Fred about joining the, the network because I thought it would be a good thing for, for the both of us. So, you know, we've slowly been making our way to making it happen, and in the last couple of weeks, we finally did, so... Uh, I'm really excited to uh, share uh, what I do with a with bigger audience and the the TWIP audience, as well as uh, being able to turn on some of the people who have been listening to me for a while to the variety of different shows that you're you're collecting here on TWIP. Love it, yeah, I love it. I think I think it's a it's a perfect fit. I'm I'm honored and excited to have you as a as an addition to the network, and uh, I think. You know, no. All joking aside, you bring a certain level of maturity and legitimacy to the network. So, so I'm thank you, thank you for old. doing that. What's up? Thank you for not using the word old. I did not say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I was dancing around it. Did you notice that? <laughs> all right, all right, Derek. Before we dive into the Google stuff, what what's going on in your world? I know you're you're always busy. You're always doing crazy stuff. You're always leading workshops or testing new gear or doing Lynda.com courses. What's uh what's on your plate this week? Yes, uh, to all of those, <laughs> and and on top of that, it's commercial season. So all all my commercial clients are alive and well right now. So working that in between, but working on a, a Linda title right now. Um, I actually started recording at my studio here, so I don't have to go down the car. And uh, then we're going out to Bodie uh, in two weeks. And we're going to do an Eastern Sierra workshop out there for three days. First time I've been out there uh, with a workshop. I go every year. So I'm really jazzed about that. That's going to be exciting. 
That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I love it. Um, Always busy. The working photographer. That's that's yeah. 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 And hopefully oh. hopefully in a couple of weeks here we'll have some news to announce to the uh to the Twip audience. I won't tell them what it is yet, but you know, there may be something coming out. Just going to say that. Yeah, I never know, right? I never know what's going to happen. You never know <laughs> what's going to happen around these parts. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, guys, let's dive into story number one. So this is about Google. So last week was Google I.O. It's Google's annual tech technology exhibition and uh, kind of the their their Mac world of uh, of announcements kind of kind of thing. And they announced a bunch of things. A lot of cool things came out. But of interest to our audiences is the announcement of Google Photos with unlimited storage. So here's the blurb from our friends over at Gizmodo. So you say, here's Google Photos, Mountain View's big shot at making your enorm enormous photo collection usable. It's unlimited photo and video storage, plus some smart design and brains to make a number, uh, a huge number of photos manageable, and it launches today on Android, iOS, and desktop. So like Flickr, it's supposed to be a home for all of your photos in your library. It uses slick pinch and zoom uh, to help you get through all the images fast, no more scrolling, and there's a really nice gesture that lets you highlight photos in the app by dragging your finger. Plus, it does some cool things like that the other apps are starting to do, like with the facial recognition. So if you, if you, uh, you know, if it, you can tell it to say, okay, all the photos of Derek in my library, show them to me when I click on this icon of Derek. It'll do that. So things like that. Um, it's the service supports up to 16 megapixel resolution and 1080p video, or you can pay a fee and you can store your raw files and higher res videos, and that can be purchased. I, I believe it's nine bucks or ten bucks for a terabyte. So, first of all, I want to throw this out to you guys. Barry next, how about you first? This, you know, we've got Flickr out there, which is which has been out there, has been our friend forever. Flickr has been on the web since the beginning of the internet. It feels like, and we've got other services out there like. Apple's iCloud photo library and on and on and on. So we've got lots of choices now. This is the newest. Is this one compelling to you? Are you diving in and throwing all your photos in there? Uh, you know, I, I just started just uploading the images from my phone and my tablet. Mm -hmm. there. I didn't really uh, play with what's on my desktop because what's on my desktop is just, you know, several terabytes worth of stuff. So right. I didn't want to get into, you know, bogging up my computer uploading all of that but you know it was it's interesting and it offers some really interesting features I mean the facial recognition is, is just a small seems to be a small part of it but it's able to identify things like dogs food uh, locations to amazing degree I was really surprised it's it's not perfect yeah but I was amazed at how you know it's able to gather data by just analyzing what's in there I mean it could identify where in pictures when I was in Paris that I did not tag as Paris. It would just look at, or Europe, and it would just look at buildings or structures or whatever it was and was able to identify that these were taken in Europe. Even with, create, no, with no GPS data on there or anything? It just kind of... Maybe with GPS data. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Because some of the... some I didn't specifically look to see if some of the images were taken on my phone or whether I had imported images from my camera, which doesn't have GPS, into... into um, into them, so I haven't really differentiated to see which ones they were. But I was just amazed that without me being really dutiful about tagging all those images, that uh, somehow I was able to collect images. Yeah, and that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing people are saying that that 
that's it's it's scarily accurate. You know, for example, I have pictures in my library of my niece that go back to like birth, and it yeah. recognized her <laughs> from from birth all the way up through uh, you know her teens. Right now, it recognized all of the photos of her and collated them all. And I thought that's some. She looks nothing like that, obviously. <laughs> you know, today like she did then, but it found everything. So that's a. Uh, you know, that was almost borderline magical for me that it could do that. You know, and that's something, you know, for me personally, that's something that I probably never would have gone around, gotten around to do to kind of collate all that stuff into one folder and organize it. And, you know, Google did it automatically. You know, in my personal images, I'm actually very poor in terms of organizing them. Yeah, me too. I'm just really bad when it comes to my, my work. Everything's really organized, keyworded, all of that stuff. When it comes to my personal life, it's a it's a hot mess. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. I'm I'm exactly the same way. Derek, Derek, story. What about you? So when I when I saw this, I'm I'm this is it, it was perfect timing on Google's part because I'm in this spot for me at least because I'm in this spot where, you know, iCloud Photos came out, uh, the iCloud Photo Library, and I'm in this position of trying to figure out how I want to manage my personal photos. I've already made the decision that personal and private aren't going in the same library, none of that stuff. I'm going to keep them segregated. And my idea was I was going to upload all the personal things to iCloud Photo Library and let all my non-pro stuff, let Apple manage that, and then continue on with Lightroom for my pro stuff, you know, or my, my working pro photographer stuff. That idea broke because I have more than one terabyte of personal images and Apple doesn't let you store more than one terabyte. So now enter Google Photos. Does the idea change? Or, or first of all, tell us what your, your thoughts are of, of Google Photos initially. Well, it, it does seem pretty well thought out. I, I agree with that. And, you know, it, it gets you off to a fast start, which is nice. Almost scary, <laughs> you know. You know, you 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 launch the app and uh, and like all of a sudden a whole bunch of stuff is there. And you mm -hmm. go, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> how, did, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't remember checking any boxes, but uh, the stuff that uh, you guys are talking about, I think, is terrific. The image editing tools are nice. They're they're not extensive, but they're they're clever and and effective, and uh, I like that that part of it a lot. And uh, I'm, I was thinking same way as you, personal for the cloud stuff, and then you know, Drobo, Lightroom kind of thing for for professional. But you know, now I have my personal stuff on uh, iCloud, and, and I have it here in Google now, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I have it in Dropbox. You know, I'm using Dropbox too, cool. and Flickr. So, you know, it seems like everybody has my personal photos and wants them. And I mean, I don't know. I, I was thinking I, I was just going to let everyone grab them and then see which one I end up using the most, you know, I mean, which one kind of, you know, do go Darwin on this thing yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, and, totally. just, and just sort of see what happens. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Natural selection. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's interesting, but you know, I, w I was looking at all these things and then there's, you never want to forget about Flickr because we talk about Flickr a lot, and Flickr mm -hmm. offers you unlimited storage as well, right? right? But not of raw images. So there's always like, 
there's always like a, like for all the tables that we have in the restaurant, there's all the chairs have one leg that's a little bit too short. <laughs> so, well, there's and, no perfectly solid table for us to sit at with regard to this. No, I, and I, I agree with you there. And we should do a little clarification on the unlimited thing with Google. Please do. Yeah, yeah. As you said, uh, you know, sixteen up to sixteen megabyte photos. Mm-hmm. And then you notice that when megapixel. you first, 16 megapixel, yeah, I mean, megapixel, thank you, 16 yeah. megapixel. And then you notice that when you first log on to it and you go to settings, uh, if if you let them optimize your photos, it's unlimited. If you put them in their original state, it goes against your storage. Uh, you know, so you get a little bit of free storage, and then, as you mentioned, you can buy. So, if you want that unlimited feature, you have to let Google optimize the photos uh, and not have them in their uh, original state. So, you know, that's just something to be aware of too. Yeah, yeah, and I'm wondering if there's a workflow where you can, where I can have all my personal images locally in a library, maybe in some sort of watched folder that gets mm-hmm. synced up to Google where I don't care if it compresses them down a little bit because they're going to be shared around anyway and I'm sure their compression algorithms yeah. are okay but I still have my local files on my main Mac at home if I need to get to the high resolution versions I don't know, I don't know. It's a, have, it's, I was reading that they have their own um, compression algorithm mm-hmm. uh, for, for them I think someone was com- uh, comparing them to uh, another form of JPEG, I forget what the other type is, uh, Derek, you may know. But, like JPEG uh, 2000 or something like that? Something else. I think it was something else. But oh, they were okay. comparisons, and they said that uh, Google's uh, algorithms for compression were pretty favorable, but he was very surprised yeah. for the results, and considering that, you know, you're not looking at professional work that's going to be enlarged or anything like that, that it's largely, at least for most people, going to be mostly personal use, mm-hmm. that uh, the benefit of the compression... Uh, th- it doesn't seem to be a, a negative as I, I, I thought initially. So yeah, you know, you know I, and I, I would tend to go along with that too. Yeah, I would. I, they look good to my eyes. Uh, of course, I'm looking at them on you know iPads and iPhones and stuff right now. So. Right, but 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 to that point, Derek, where else are you gonna look at them? Like, yeah, right. So if it's right. good enough for those, then it's probably gonna be good enough, right? I I I agree. I well, agree. Other, and again, other, go ahead. Oh, and again, just you know, we're all kind of thinking along the lines of our personal stuff too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. The other piece of this, you know, you know is uh, the terms of service, right? So, the and this comes up every single time. Whenever a new yeah. service comes out, there's the same clause in there that everybody's feathers gets rustle, ruffled about. And let me let me read this one to you that I have in the notes. Uh, so from Google's Terms of Service, when you upload, submit, store, send, or receive content to or through services, you give Google and those we work with a worldwide license to use, host, store, reproduce, modify, create deriv- derivative works such as those resulting from translations, adaptations, or other changes we make so that your content works better with our services. Uh, <laughs> communicate, publish publicly, perform uh, publicly, display and distri- distribute distribute such content. The rights you grant in this license are for the limited purpose of operating, promoting, and improving our services and to develop new ones. Um, 
<laughs> do you, a very next, do you get scary? Do you scared when you hear that? Does that mean if I upload my library to Google, they're gonna they're gonna start, you know, the Google iStock photo service and start making millions of dollars off my family images? No, because that's not what they're saying they're gonna do. I mean, if yep. you like you just read it, if you just listen or you just read what they just said, they're yep. using it primarily to promote and and market their service, yep. which we're using for free, which right. I think perfectly fair exchange. Um, yeah. They're not talking about creating a stock agency. They're not talking about, you know, reselling your work as posters and, you know, and cards and selling them for, for profit. They're saying, hey, you're using our service for free and in exchange, we may use some of your images to help promote us at a trade show. We may have a board with, a, you know, a hundred different pictures from our, our users up on, on, that, on that board. Right. And if someone, you know, has a problem and thinks that they should be paid for it, well, and don't use the don't service. Don't use the service, yeah. Derek, do you, you read that the same way? I do. I mean, this is not like a Richard Prince situation here. This is, this is. I mean, I think by now we're starting to get a, a little bit more comfortable with how this works, and I think it's pretty much as, as you guys are describing it. It's it's a fair trade uh, as far as I can see. <laughs> you know, and I always, I always want to leave myself a little wiggle room there because doggone it, you know, we can get surprised on these things. So, so I'm yeah. not going to say that uh, I have a complete trust in, in Google. In fact, I don't, uh, you know, in terms of my work. But as, as I read it, very similar, yes. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, at the same time, like a Barry next says, if you don't want to abide by or you don't, dis you don't agree with those terms of services, just don't sign up for the service. There are plenty of other options to use out there. Yeah, right? yeah. But on the other hand, if you look at if you if you play conspiracy theorist and <laughs> you look at you look at the data that Google is collecting now, which is all in you know, and you you kind of cross reference that with like what I was talking about with my niece, how they know they you know over time they will know a lot of data about me, my family, people oh my I interact God. with, where oh, yeah. I've been in the world, what things I like in the world because I've taken photos of them. They're reading my emails so they know my transactions through emails. If I'm buying stuff through Google Wallet or whatever their new, their services, they know my transaction history. They know what I search for. They know what I watch on YouTube. It goes on and on and on. You can build a pretty accurate picture of me and the kinds of ads you can serve to me to tempt me. Right? Do I care about that? I, you know, I'm a little creeped out by it but I don't, I don't <laughs> care. You know, I mean, I'm not doing anything nefarious online, so I'm, I, I don't care about that. But at the same time, if you are that tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist, you should probably not use a service like Google and stay away from all Google services because they all have similar clauses in there. Right, Abernex? Does that, does that scare you at all when, you know, you look at it through that lens? You know, to, to you say an interesting thing. You say, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I shouldn't have anything to worry about. And yeah. To some extent, I understand that sort of thinking, but I think if people really knew how much information is known about them, they would really be scared. And the mm -hmm. fact that we're kind of oblivious to the the level of the, the quote-unquote files that are kept on us, Yeah. maybe not paper files in some sort of drawer somewhere, but mm -hmm. electronically and digitally, they would be very unnerved that there is that much information about their lives in terms of right. where they go, what they buy, you know, where they're traveling to. Just amazing amount of personal information 
you know, when I let's not even talk about you know Facebook and Twitter and all that <laughs> yeah. other stuff. Yeah, just, you start overlaying those layers in it's just from the normal exchanges that you make and the amount of information that you're giving to people in order to receive conveniences and things like that. So, you know, if if for me, someone stealing my photograph from Google is the least of my concerns. Yeah. No, I think that the the overall picture in terms of this data that's being um, gathered and sold, which is the biggest issue, is that all your private information is being sold to th you know third parties so that they can market and sell stuff to you, is sort of the bigger concern. But um, there are some interesting stories that are out there that have touched on the subject and they've really kind of in explored it. I think it was an, uh, an NPR, um, a woman actually paid for a service to find out what they knew about her and she was made very uncomfortable as a result of finding out how much uh, data was known about her. So, you know, but that's the world that we live in. So unless you end up going to a, a desert island and just cut the cord completely. That probably wouldn't uh, work either. You know, people, satellites. Satellites would still are, get you. Yeah. So people are watching. So if you're paranoid, you're probably justified. Derek, does this mean that my by using the incognito feature of Chrome that I'm not safe? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Oh. I mean, that means no one can see what I'm doing, right? Come on. It's incognito. I could have so much sunglasses fun. on. I could have so much fun with that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to pick up on something you said that uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't have to worry. And Ibarian X uh, picked up on that, too, a little bit. Yeah. You know, the thing that creeps me out is that history is full of innocent people who weren't doing anything wrong who were persecuted sure. <laughs> in, in big time ways. And, uh, and so it, it, the, the part that makes me nervous and, and I am nervous about it when I think about it is that, yeah, right now everything seems uh, rather civil, uh, here in our country and good, uh, until we find out something like Edward Snowden or something like that. What, you know, when he reveals, opens up the door and then suddenly you go, man, I'm not doing anything wrong. And, that information could be used against me because if the government changes or whatever, then suddenly I'm out, you know. And yeah. and I, I think that is a little nerve wracking. And and I I don't know what I don't have a solution for it. Uh, yeah. It's too late for me, uh, clearly. Uh, but um, you're, I think what you guys are saying is is the price of uh, you know how we live right now. It is. I just hope it doesn't. It doesn't come back and, and get us in a really bad way. Yeah, and I, I agree with the Barry Next on the, you know, or both of you guys on the, you know, the idea of it's a free service. You're giving Google this data in exchange for being able to use the service for free. But I think what people need to understand is what they're giving up and the cumulative effect of these new services that roll out over time and how you give a little bit there and a little bit here and a little bit there, a little bit here, pretty much the whole jigsaw puzzle of you is complete or with only a few missing pieces. And it just, you know, it's linear. It goes on over time, not just in one big chunk like this. So as long as you understand the proposition yeah. of clicking the I agree box, then go for it. But don't just blindly click the I agree box and then get mad later, like Derek says, when you find out that, you know, all these other things have been happening with your data. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's it's tough. I mean, in all honesty, I mean, I think this is a, a hard conversation. I mean, we started out all nice and fluffy with Google <laughs> Photos and pretty pictures and all that. Yeah. But uh, when when you kind of you know, as soon as you go to the TOS and and really start looking at things, then it gets you thinking. The TOS is fine, yeah, but it it does get you thinking about these other issues that aren't nearly as much fun as looking at pretty pictures. Right. Right. The, and, the you film, know, like, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Baradex. The film Minority Report was pretty prescient. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, Tom Cruise is walking down the hallway, and then the, the screen targets an ad directly at him. And people thought, wow, that's like science fiction. But we're already there mm -hmm. because now there's technology now where, where they're talking about when we go into a mall or we go into a store, mm -hmm. our phone will be notified. When there's a sale on something that we we've indicated we have an interest in, yeah, yeah. and as so you're walking by there and saying, "Hey, this store has a sale on you know that lens that you've been you know frothing at the mouth about," mm -hmm. you walk into this this stuff is already there and it's already happening. It may not be displayed on the big screen like it was in the movie, but you know. It's it's happening. It's here, yeah. And it's I mean when you think about it, not to scare the world, you know, away from uploading your images online, but you, you think about this stuff and it's like there's a lot of data that and a lot of data mining that can happen with your photos, right? And and conclusions that could be drawn based on what people see in your photos where because mm -hmm. they can say, Okay, well, Frederick traveled to the Middle East three times, and we know that people tra that travel to the Middle East more than X number of times have this percentage of a propensity to be converted to blah, 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 you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, people that travel to the Middle East and visit these websites and drive these kinds of cars, you know, we want to target them because they might be evildoers or something, you know, they, when the, those kinds when the Boston, of formulas are possible, right? When the Boston Marathon bombing happened. The FBI was really interested in seeing pictures from people who were there at the event, event as a way of gathering evidence. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not too far-fetched that they could you know, at some point be able to justify being able to access images that obviously were taken at a time of day in a certain area and pull from that, you know, from all those images shot by all these different people with or without their knowledge in order to, um, you know, investigate a, a crime or a supposed crime, which could right. be both or, or bad, but it's it's, I don't know, I don't know. Part part of me feels like, you know, it's good in terms of investigating a crime where someone was wrong, but we also know that our government sometimes uh, does things that uh, most people don't wouldn't like to admit that they're doing. That's right. Apologize uh, later. Be, right. be part of it. So. Well. And and I also think even on the mundane level, it's it's interesting and potentially unnerving. Let's say that I I walk into that mall that we were talking about earlier, and on my phone pops up, Derek, we have uh, some more women's lingerie for you, you know, and I'm with my wife, and uh, you know, <laughs> okay, and I'm I going. Was, I was thinking something completely different, Derek. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, so, I'm kind of a tall guy, but anyway, uh, you just you wear flats, not heels, right? Exactly. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, so so 
you know, that could be uncomfortable. Now, let's say that I, I, I had purchased some lingerie for my wife's birthday. That's a month now and all that. She doesn't know any of that. Or I'm up to some sort of nefarious thing. But even on a mundane level, you can see how this thing can go wrong, you know, yeah. kind of quickly. Yeah. 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 But, you know, be cognizant of this stuff. I, I just, I guess I just caution the, the TWIP listeners, not caution, but just, you know, know what you're signing before you sign it. That's all. You know, it's okay. I'm sure Google, is, their heart is in the right place. You know, I think they still kind of abide by that do no evil thing that they were talking about. But, you know, but still know what they could do if they wanted to and what yeah. things, like, like Barry Dex was saying, or who was it, Derek, you know, that people that were not planning on doing evil things still got prosecuted in the past. So. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff happens, especially in the United States. You never know what, what's going to happen around here. All right, guys. Uh, before we continue on with our next story, I want to thank our sponsor, one of our sponsors for this episode of This Week in Photo. That's our good friends over at lynda.com. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online training platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, just visit lynda.com slash twip. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash T-W-I-P. Now, lynda.com is for problem solvers, creative people, or just people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel or learn negotiation tactics or build a website or even boost your Photoshop skills. Just go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. lynda.com offers a ton of courses on Lightroom, Photoshop, and the Adobe Creative Cloud, and many on just getting inspired or re-inspired about your photography. With a lynda.com membership, you can watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching, and you can stream thousands of video courses on demand and learn at your own schedule. And courses are structured so that you can watch them from start to finish, or you can consume them in bite-sized pieces. You can even download tutorials and watch them on the go from your iOS or Android device. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or just want to learn something new, visit lynda.com slash twip and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash twip. All right, guys, story number two. Another, another bit of news out of Google I.O. Google announced the Jump 360 virtual reality rig. It's a rig that came, contains 16 GoPro cameras. So essentially it's a, it's a virtual reality system called Jump that uses a special rig that was created in partnership with GoPro, who, by the way, has hinted that next year, early 2016, they're going to be coming out with their own line of drones, but we'll see. But they created this rig in partnership with GoPro to create 360-degree, uh, an array that uses 316 cameras to create a 360-degree view of whatever, you know, wherever this thing is sitting. Um, and they, they announced another rig that uses six cameras. GoPro announced a rig that uses six cameras. So this is interesting. We put this in the story because it, it kind of points at these different directions that Google is looking at with regard to virtual reality and these sorts of technologies. We saw at the last Google I.O. they were experimenting with this stuff with the headset and, you know, 
those sorts of things. And now we're seeing GoPro get into the mix with these things. I want to put it to you guys, Derek, you first on the you know, back in the day. I remember way, way, way back in the day, there was QuickTime VR and you oh, know, yeah. remember that all the rage was about that. the whole yeah. web is going to be virtual. You're going to be walking through and clicking and that's how we're <laughs> going to shop in the future and all that stuff. Then it went away. And we yeah. never heard from again. Sounds like it yeah. seems like it's coming back again. Is it, or am I just imagining it? No, no. I mean, it's 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 kind of coming in in fits and starts. Uh, I mean, what what drones have done for for photography is, is really had an impact. And you know, we're we're seeing now now it's not just this thing flying around your head, and you know, and now yeah, it, it's it's becoming much more. Uh, capable, yeah. So uh, I mean, I think it's just a, a continuation of of what we're seeing going on in photography. But to your point, uh, the virtual world, ah, mm -hmm. we're a long ways from that. I, <laughs> I mean, know, like Second Life. Remember, we're a everyone long thought ways. everyone thought everything was going to be moving into Second Life, and you're going to have your own real yeah. estate and all this. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> Where did yeah. that go? I yeah, know. I mean, I you know, I can barely stay on Google Hangout without nyeh, nyeh, nyeh half the time. So I mean, <laughs> I know. Don't don't jinx it. <laughs> I won't. I won't. Sorry. <laughs> cancel. Cancel. <laughs> but you know what? I, you know what I'm saying here. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, we're. It's like we're I think when, when would I use this? I mean, I could see. As a photographer, I'm looking at this thing. By the way, if you load up this rig with 16 separate GoPro cameras. Uh, you're looking at, you know, if you're using Hero Blacks, Hero 4 Black Edition GoPro cameras, you're looking at about eight grand to get it fully outfitted and ready to go. Uh, I don't Do know not if crash that, around. baby. Do not crash that, baby. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I don't know. Barry Dex, what about you, man? I mean, you, you see this? Is, uh, is virtual reality and this kind of things? are we looking at a resurgence of it? Like this stuff is coming back, and now that we the technology's here, cameras are more capable, smaller, lighter, faster. We got the cloud. Is is it time for virtual reality and these kinds of immersive environments to to take their throne in our in our mindset? Uh, probably for porn and gaming. <laughs> <laughs> what if you merge those two things together? <laughs> Seriously, I mean that. I think that. You know, the commercial market is really going to dictate whether or not this thing really takes off. Yeah. You know, and I'm kind of half-joking in terms of porn and gaming, but that's... Uh, well, know, we I, always lead, right? Yeah, yeah, both of those industries lead in a lot of ways, a lot of adoption, like video, for example. Porn led that, and, you yeah, know, and membership think, sites, all that. And I think gaming probably more so than anything else, because gaming has gotten to the point where it's become a bigger industry than motion pictures. There's yeah. more money and more profit made from from games and from 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 movies. So I, I think that as uh, as we as people start moving away from um, console gaming, even though that's still a, a big part of it, um, I think there's going to be an interest in terms of well, they're not moving away from it, but there, there's more sales of games on our phones and our tablets than there are in the console gaming. So I think that if they're interested in sort of maintaining that that audience. They're they're going to need to up their their game, yeah. uh, for lack of a better word, in terms of what they're offering there. And it seems like this kind of technology makes a, a lot of sense. It's a, it's an expensive proposition, so I don't think it's going to be ubiquitous anytime soon, though. Yeah, and, yeah. And and I think they need at, at I/O. I think you know they need to have something that has a certain amount of you know 
buzz factor. You know what I mean? You, you've got to have that thing that is, uh, you know, it's, it's like when Amazon said they're going to start, you know, delivering packages by drones sure. on 60 minutes. You know, you know, it, 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 it's a little bit of a hook. It's a little sizzle, uh, you know, to, to add to what's essentially a software show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I guess we'll watch them, but like me personally, I don't see me. I don't see me buying this anytime soon. It looks cool. <laughs> I'm looking at the photo here. It looks really oh, cool. I love the way it looks. It's, I'd want to play with it. Maybe I'll if I could rent it and play with it. But I don't see me getting this rig and then forking out eight grand to to play around with VR. Maybe if I had a gig or something that was like you get paid a hundred grand, but you got to do VR and it's just part of the overall invoice. Then <laughs> I would experiment with it, but not just to play around. I don't think. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by our newest sponsor, and that's our friends over at Animoto.com. In today's connected and visual world, video is really now a necessity. It's no longer an option. In fact, all of the social media platforms now allow video. People are using video as a powerful way to stand out from just static photos. Even Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg predicts that video will be the primary form of communication on Facebook within five years. And with video, you can better engage your customers and your friends. You can drive more traffic to your website. And you can boost your company or your personal image online by just using video. But learning how to use video and spending the money to create compelling videos is expensive. And it takes a long time to learn the tools necessary to create cool-looking videos. So that's where Animoto comes in. Animoto is a drag-and-drop video builder that gives you everything you need to produce professional videos in just minutes. You just need a logo and some photos or some video clips. You throw them in there, and boom, the thing crunches them and spits out an amazing-looking professional video. They've got 1,000 or over 1,000 commercially licensed songs for you to use, courtesy of Triple Scoop Music. Animoto has partnered with respected photographers, including Kelly Brown, Jerry Gihonis, Tamara Lackey, and more to provide you with exclusive professionally designed video styles. Plus, if you have your own logo, you can replace the Animoto branding with your own logo on there. Plus, you can create unlimited HD videos. You can share your videos on your website. You can throw them up on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, email. You can even download them and burn them to a DVD if you want to. Plus, they've got a cool Lightroom plugin, so you can you can shoot your images directly from Lightroom into Animoto and have it remix them just like that. No more exporting to a folder than uploading. You can just send them directly out to Animoto from your desktop. Animoto is really more than just a slideshow. They they, te- they allow you to tell a story. You can choose the right music, set a cool mood, and really bring a series of images and video clips to life. And you can market your photography business with video with just a few clicks. You know more editing experience is needed. You can blend those video clips and photos seamlessly into one final piece, really without any extra work. And you can create your first video in about 10 minutes. You know, and this is about less than the time it takes for you to get your favorite caffeinated drink from your favorite barista. And Animoto has a special free trial. It's a no-risk free trial. You can try them for free and join the thousands of photographers who are already using Animoto to stand out from the crowd. Just head over to animoto.com twip and use the offer code TWIP, and they'll knock 15% off an Animoto Pro account. Once again, that's animoto.com slash twip, and use the offer code TWIP for 15% off. 
All right, guys, let's move on to this next story, story number three. I think you guys are going to dig into this a little bit. This is pretty interesting. So let me read this. This is from our friends over at Petapixel. Artist Richard Prince is notorious in the art world for taking other people's work and, quote, appropriating them as his own with various changes and then selling them for large amounts of dough. His latest endeavor is once again raising eyebrows. He's selling other people's Instagram photos for up to $100,000 each. In a gallery exhibition titled, quote, New Portraits, which ran at the uh, Gagosian Gallery in New York City from September through October 2014. Prince displayed 38 portraits featuring photos taken, taken from his Instagram feeds, other people's images without permission. The large 48 by 65 inch works featured a screenshot of the photo as it appeared on Instagram and a short message posted by Prince himself as the last comment on each one. So... Interesting. <laughs> so, first of all, I want to I want to go on. I want to talk about. Uh, there was a, a lawyer that commented on this. I'm going to read his response. But before I do that, I want to have you guys comment. So you saw this, and I even posted a couple of screenshots of from your Instagram feeds in the show notes of which I made the last comment on. So in theory, <laughs> in theory, I could print these and sell them for ten grand each, right? So, the difference is, Fred, I know where you live. You know where I live. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> but looking at this, I mean, that's just to make the point here. In in fact, I think the what I put on the end of that, making a point for TWIP uh, as the, my post, as my quote on your post. Uh, Baronex, when you see this and this artist, what he's doing, where do you fall on this? I mean, is it is it blatant stealing? Is it he's just dancing on the line of the law? Or is it just, you know, what what do you think? Well, on a personal level, it's it's maddening, you know, to think that somebody can take a work, can take a work and slap something on there and, you know, make it his own and make all this money from it. Mm -hmm. But you know, what the the thing is, this is really a legal argument. As yep. as 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 morally offensive as I may find it, uh, it really comes down to, you know, lawyers, you know, debating between. You know the the rights of copyright, the rights of the of the creator of the original image, and freedom of speech, and that's where it falls on. And what this artist uh, has been doing for the last couple of decades is walking that fine line between yeah. the ownership of the image and how much latitude can you get um, in, in terms of the, in in the eyes of the law of being able to take some of the original image, make some sort of social commentary uh, about it. You know, labeled as art, in as a means of justifying being able to express yourself, but using it from creating derivative work of other people. Um, sometimes he's lost in court. Sometimes he hasn't. Uh, famously, Sam Abel won uh, the case against him uh, when his image of the Marlboro Man mm -hmm. uh, was used. But uh, that's it's not cut and dry. As much as people have been commenting throughout the internet that uh, this is wrong and then he should, somebody should sue them. Um, as the lawyer in that article that you mentioned in, in F-Star has indicated, it's not, it's not uh, a, a cut and dry case. Yeah. 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 You're right. It's a, yeah. As, it, it as morally wrong as it may seem, as morally bankrupt as it may seem, the, you're right. It's it's a legal it's a legal issue. You know, there's lots of morally wrong things that happen around the world that are legally fine and correct. Derek, what what about you? You saw this. You see that I've yeah. stolen one of your images, or I've 
I've I've added social value to one of your images, and now it's mine. What do you think? <laughs> well, in in general, I I'm not against derivative works, um, in principle anyway, because I I think it's it's a way that you know we can evolve, you know. A, in technology and art, things like that, where where you take a, a good idea and then you know you build on it and you create something else, something that maybe the original uh, creator never envisioned. Mm -hmm. And so I think there has to be a little latitude for for derivative works, and and, and in, on that level, I'm willing to play ball, even you know with my own stuff. I think what's going on here with this case. That that bothers uh, some of us is that he's not really mo taking uh, our our work, photographer's work, and and really doing anything artistic with them. Really, mm -hmm. what he's doing is he, you know he's doing he's adding a little something, a, a line, and then he's selling them and 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 not uh, you know participating at all with the original creator. So he legally may may get away with this most of the time because of the way the law is set up. But I actually think he's abusing, you know, what I what I believe is is a kind of a neat principle, which yeah. is you know moving art forward through people building upon ideas. Yeah. So the derivative I, derivative works. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, you know, you know, mashups are are, are you know kind of a, an interesting thing that happens in the music world, and you know, there's some interesting stuff that's come out of that. So, ah. So in general, I just think he's kind of a putz, in all honesty. And uh, but uh, this may be, you know, something that we have to live with uh, in order to, you know, be able to to, to keep uh, art and technology and stuff evolving. I don't know, but um, I, I would like to see him kind of get it stuck to him a little bit. Yeah, honesty. yeah. I mean, when I saw this, and I saw, you know, I'm going to read this 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 uh, what the lawyer said. Um, but when I saw that and I looked at this and, you know, the fact that he made a comment on it kind of makes it a derivative work, if you will. And I'm thinking, okay, so if I take, you know, a famous artist's song and at the end of it, I add, that was cool in my own voice. And then mm. I take that whole MP3 and sell it. Isn't that the same thing, Barry Next? Am I am I wrong here? I mean, because he's just commenting on a photo. He's not editing or altering the photo or somehow making it better. He's adding commentary to the photo without any edits to the photo. I think the the difference would be in the court of law is whether collectively what you did is recognized as art. Yeah. And I think that that what Richard Prince is doing. Um, has been accepted as art, or his, or at least the work that he's produced in the past has considered art. So, uh, you probably wouldn't have much of a legal leg to stand on because you do you're you're not recognized as an artist. You don't have an accumulation of work. Right. So more than likely, you would have to write a, a very big check to the music industry. Mm. But um, you know, I, I think that. Um, but if I was, though, if I did have this, you know, I'm doing gallery shows and I had a large body of work and I'm internationally recognized as an artist. So you say I'm Banksy or somebody and I decide to do this or I do that with the with the audio. Right. And this is my I'm branching out into audio now and I'm adding my, you know, my my street art cred to the audio to the audio world. Are you saying that because I'm Banksy and I'm not Frederick that I would then be able to get away with it? 
yeah, it still would be bad art, but yeah, you probably would be able to get away with it from, yeah. from a legal from a legal standpoint, and that's yeah. really cool. And you know, and and as much as I don't like what he's doing, I don't know whether I I want a lawyer or a court case to go, get to the point where they say, um, you can't do this, because as, as Derek indicated, there's a lot of work that's done that's derivative, that I really enjoy, that I really like. So as much as I don't like it. It may be something that we may have to accept to some degree, because really the, the ultimate argument is going to be, is is this art? And that's not definable. And I don't want some guy uh, in a robe dictating to me what art is or isn't, because we have a history, uh, not only in this country, but around the world, with people saying this is an art, and as a result, trying to impose you know, their point of view, their will, their ideas on other people. Right. So... It's, it's the price that we pay for being in this country. But I think that, uh, lastly, it's really not a huge concern, practically speaking, for most photographers. Because if their work is being used and their copyright is being violated, um, they have some protections, particularly if they register their copyright, which is a, a key point that they make in that F-Stoppers article, which is yes. important. Yeah. Talk, John. Let me read this quote from John Arsenault. He's a... Uh, highly specialized expert in the world of patent copyright and licensing law. And this is what he said. And this is from that same article. It's from the article on F-Stoppers. He said, uh, his argument is hinged around the text commentary attached to it. So he says it has social value. So he, he says he can do that, Arsenal stated. I personally don't think that it fits in the spirit of copyright law, but I think his position is that he is transforming the original work. He's taken an online work reprinting more than just a photograph. If he downloaded an image and printed it as is and sold it, that's clearly copyright infringement. But, and here's the key phrase, if you take the Instagram screenshot of some with, with some commentary below it, then you have an argument that it has, quote, social value. This hasn't, this hasn't been tested in the way that he's doing it by the courts, not specifically this question. I think this is, this is open-ended still and would uh, absolutely be, interesting, uh, be an interesting question to take to the court. So what I highlighted in this paragraph, let me reread this, but if you take the Instagram screenshot with some of the commentary below it, you have an argument that, ha that it has social value. So my question to you guys what the heck is social value, and how do you quantify that in a court of law yeah. so that you can make the call on something like this? Like, really? Yeah. Like, the, going back to the photos, the screenshots I took of your work, I mm -hmm. added the comment, making a point for TWIP. Does that add social value? And going back to Barry X's point earlier that I'm not a, you know, this big highfalutin artist, I have a large following online. Does my following, the fact that I have a large social following, mean that my social value is of more weight than someone who doesn't have a large following, therefore I can get away with this? I know these are deep questions. Go ahead, Derek. What do you think? Well, it, no, it's, it, they're interesting questions because, uh, you know, one thing that, that does occur to me, if I look at just the, the photograph without anything, this is, say, the image in a frame, mm -hmm. and then I look at the image with, you know, even on the examples that you pulled that have three or four comments, including yours at the end there, they they are different, in all honesty. I mean, if I were to be perfectly honest about it, they are different. 
uh, having, which is one of the reasons why I love Instagram. I, I mean, I, I really do like Instagram a lot. And uh, part of that is that interaction and, you know, and that, you know, what images get likes, you know, and, and what, what do people say about them and all that kind of stuff. So to me, they are different works. Now, you know, how that fits into what we're talking about here, that, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. But uh, I do agree. I do not, I do, I, I would rather put up with a few Richard Princes than, than to have art go back to the Stone Ages, you know. And, I totally yeah, agree. And, and th as much as I hate saying that, that, that's the way I feel. Yeah. The very next, you want to add anything? Do you, do you agree that I now own partly that image of yours that I commented on and I can therefore do whatever I want with it, even though you know where I live? Uh, I'd like to see you try. No, no, I mean... The, 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 you know, as I said, I'm I'm not I'm not afraid that you're going to go out there and try and sell my work. Yeah. Or that anyone would buy it based on the fact that you added a, a comment on it and you try to put out your single. If you can go out there and make some money on it, good luck. You know, right. but I think there's very there are very few people out there that can do what he's doing. Yeah. You know, he's and that, an and that's a very good point. Yeah. You know, and and so I think that the the kerfuffle about all this stuff is 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 a moot point except for for the courts and for the lawyers, especially the lawyers are getting paid for it. Because God knows if he's able to make that much money off of um, those those prints and people are fool enough to buy them, uh, he'll, this won't likely be the last time that he's done it. And it won't be the last time that a photographer chooses to sue, uh, sue him or not. But, you know, for the great majority of us out there, we got bigger fish to, fish to fry. Yeah, I agree. Good point to end this one on. All right, guys, I want to jump into the listener Q&A, but before that, I want to thank our final sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's our friends over at FreshBooks. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just head over to freshbooks.com twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up. And as I've said on This Week in Photo before, we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know, as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know, all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain. And thankfully, FreshBook offers us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or, you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, you can invoice clients. It's easy. You can do it in seconds and expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your, on your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports. You can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so that you're staying out of trouble. So 
Grab some popcorn, learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars. I'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out. Once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP, enter the code This Week in Photo or TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to, uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, it's time for some listener Q&A. This week's question is from Mr. Kevin Miller. So Kevin says, I'll be shooting a group of 60 to 70 people in the future, and I need your advice. This is a formal group of adults, some of whom are elderly. I won't be able to call the shots uh, much on this one. It will probably be outside. There is a shady area, but if the light is harsh, there will probably be some spotted, some mottled light coming through the leaves of the overlying tree. So his question is, how do I get the best lighting possible in this challenging setting of a group, a large group shot outside during the middle of the day with shading that is somewhat incomplete? Derek, that is harsh, man. You know, how do you know? No pun intended. Rough. Harsh, harsh lighting. <laughs> how should he handle this? What, what's uh, what's his uh, what's his recourse here? I'm having a bad flashback to my wedding days. You know, when I used to yeah. shoot weddings. Mm -hmm. uh, what I used he to could do. Be, he could add to that that the two of the key people in the group, one's in a Nigerian and the other one's an albino. So he got <laughs> <laughs> somehow get everybody right. right in this All challenging right. light. And the Nigerian will be in the shade, and the albino will be in the bright light, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know the uh, what I used to do is he's kind of on the right track. And what I used to do, I I would try to find open shade if possible to help at least cut down the contrast a bit. Mm -hmm. And then um, I I use fill lights uh, if, if it's a really important group shot, and I would literally use the three flashes on a stand. You know. 45 degree angles and then one straight on and uh, you know blast it in as much as I can and if you're in open shade and raise the ISO up a bit you'll probably have a couple uh, you know uh, visual fatalities on the group <laughs> shot <laughs> it just happens but if you can deliver an overall shot uh, by using a combination of shade and fill light you know you do the best you can do yeah yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I was going to say the only recourse to that is not rely on the sun. Barry, next, what do you, you have any uh, anything to add to that, how to get this shot? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with uh, Derek. I mean, I think that using the speed lights is going to be key here. He might want to use uh, them in, in an umbrella to help spread the light over that large group of people, but he is going to have to increase his ISO because with speed lights, they're very limited in power, and he's going to be losing... Um, some of the uh, some of that quantity of light as a result of putting them in the, his umbra uh, the umbrella, so he may have to shoot at an ISO like maybe 800, maybe even a little higher. But for a group yeah. shot, um, you know, the largest thing that this everything uh, the print is probably going to be getting by 10. Yeah. So any increase in noise will be minimal. So I would just suggest that he do that because otherwise you'd have to look at using like strobes, which provide you more power. And if he doesn't have experience using them, um, you don't go into a shoot complicating it with something that you're not on top of. So if he's comfortable using speed lights, 
you know, just diffuse it to make it a larger light, uh, larger light source, and increase that ISO so you can maximize uh, the spread of the light. Yeah, yeah, and get all that stuff set up and ready to go and tested and metered and everything before anyone steps in front of your camera, so that once they're there, all you got to worry about is posing them and making sure everybody's in frame and you know shoot them and be done with it. And then I, I want to add one thing. Uh, in addition to the to what the lighting part that we talked about. You know, and, and jacking it, I jack it up to 1600 on this. Wow. Uh, but yeah, get yourself a sheepdog. You, I mean, you, the, getting them posed is a big part of it and is a hard part of it, and in a lot of ways, harder than the lighting. So get someone to help you corral these folks, uh, you know, so that you can get that shot within, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, I, I totally agree. If you can, if you can pull that off and have an assistant there to help you out, yeah, yeah, definitely, 100%. Yeah. All right, Twip Army, if you have a question you'd like us to tackle on the show, just visit thisweekinphoto.com, click on that, submit a question link, send us your question, or leave us a voice message, and uh, we'll try to answer it on an upcoming show. This episode of Twip is brought to you by Panasonic Lumix Cameras and the new Lumix FZ1000 4K long zoom digital camera. Now this bridge camera is a powerhouse for shooting 4K hybrid photography. You know, hybrid is when you mix stills and video. And this camera shoots at 4K in 30p. You can then, once you shoot that footage, you can later extract 8 megapixel stills from the 4K footage. It's just crazy. And it features a large 1 inch 20.1 megapixel sensor. And it's got a bright Leica 25 to 400 f2.8 to 4.0 fixed lens. Let me say that again. That's a 25 millimeter to 400 millimeter at f2.8 to 4.0 lens. And it's a Leica lens, so it's super bright. Um, and it focuses fast with the Lumix depth through defocusing technology. So you get the long lens, long fast lens, and super fast focusing in this thing in one solid compact body. And if you add to all that the fact that this thing has a smartphone Wi-Fi app for remote control, if you got one kind of super package in one little package that you put in your bag, and you know this that that lens just blows me away at 25 to 400. It's just uh, it's a long you know what they call a super zoom. Plus it does all of that stuff in 4K. That means you can shoot everything from portraits to photographing photographing lions in Africa from a safe distance and still get amazingly cool and sharp images, um, still images and video in 4K. Now you can learn all about this camera over on our All About the Gear show. Just enter FZ1000 in the search box on thisweekinphoto.com or you can head over to shop.panasonic.com or lumixlounge.com. Remember, Panasonic Lumix cameras where form meets function. And we'd like to thank Panasonic for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, guys, uh, we're going to wrap the show up here. Let's, before we do that, I want to jump into the Picks of the Week segment. Remember, you guys can recommend anything to the TWIP Army as long as it, it is somehow related to photography. Very next, Perillo, I'm going to let you go first. What is your Pick of the Week? My Pick of the Week is the Domkey Chronicle Bag. Mm. Uh, my first camera bag was a Domkey Bag, an F2, which I still have 25-plus years later. Probably one of the few bags that I've kept after all those decades. You kept a single bag for 22 years. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's worn, it's faded, 
it's something my wife probably wouldn't allow me to go out in public if she saw me with, but it's, it's, it works. Not only do I have a sentimental value around it, but it's a bag that I can still use as effectively as I did when I first, when I first got it. So when I saw that Donkey had come out with a new line of bags in which they sort of updated them, updated them for uh, the 21st century, I was really curious, and I've had a chance to use it over the last couple of months, and I really liked it. For people who don't know, the Domkey the Domkey bags was uh, designed by photojournalists. Mm. They don't have a lot of padding like some of the other bags have. It's it's basically this very simple canvas design where things are meant to be able to go in and out of the bag really really quickly. Yes, and so it's not a whole lot of all of, not you know the foam divider sort of egg carton thing going on in there. Right, exactly. There is there are some dividers, but the nice thing about it is that you can there you can easily change the shape and the configuration of them to accommodate the various camera bodies and lenses and flashes and all the various accessories that you're using. But they've added some really nice stuff. There's a nice pocket in there for uh, a tablet. Uh, they have those uh, closures that they, they have. Uh, it's not quote-unquote Velcro, but you know you can either uh, remove it so you don't just make the sound of that ripping sound when you're opening and closing it. Yeah. Uh, the pockets have these sort of zip, zippered expansion areas, so if you need to expand the side pockets to accommodate larger items, you can do that. Otherwise, you can keep it really, really tight. And it's just, it's there's something about a canvas bag that is just just great. There, I've had so many other bags, but after a while, I just stopped using them or give them away to someone. Yeah. And uh, I just really like the style of the bag and the fact that, especially when I'm on the street, that I can get into the bag without having to access any zippers. Yeah. I mean, literally, I just open up a flap and I grab what I need and I get to shooting. And I think that's one of the, 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 the biggest advantages of, of the bags is that it's quick and ready access to everything. You don't and have not, to... And not so much looking like a camera bag either. So you're not, you're not a target that... It's obvious that you have thousands of dollars worth of gear in your bag, right? So this bag or any of the other donkey bags, I, for people who want really fast access, and it's not just about carrying as much product as you can on your back, um, I think this bag, along with any of the other bags that donkey offers, are something people should take a look at. Wonderful. Awesome. All right, the Domkey Chronicle bag. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. Thanks, Baronet. All right, Mr. Derek Story, what is your pick of the week? Uh, we're going to do the Canon 50mm f1.8 STM new Nifty 50 for $125. A lens, a 1.8 lens for $125. Bucks. That's right. They finally updated that that meat grinder of a 50mm they had. Uh, you know, so this this is at the low end, right? Uh, this yeah. is for Canon shooters. It's at the low end. The $100, uh, you know, 1.8 that they had, the the two. Uh, has finally been updated uh, with uh, a new motor, the STM motor, and it's quieter, it's faster, and it has some kind of cool features. Uh, metal lens mount, uh, it can now take a bayonet lens hood, and it's just a cool lens. It just has a character to it. Uh, the the first, the last one had a character to it, and this one has a character to it. And for 125 bucks, it's um, I tell you, I'm I'm using it on certain types of shoots, wide open when I want, kind of that magical look, you know. Uh, it's not an edge-to-edge, -edge, super sharp lens. It's not going to be your Zeiss or your Sigma art lens. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's cool though. And I, I think every, every photographer that relies mainly on zoom lens, if you only get one prime lens, this one's uh, a, a good place to start. Very cool. All right. Yeah. And uh, now do you own this lens or are you just, are you just, yeah, no, I'm shooting with it. I actually oh, okay. used it on a job the other day. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Endorsement. Are you going to do like a, a proper review of it on the digital story? Uh, tomorrow's podcast has a oh, hands-on. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll hear it there. That is, uh, I yeah. listen to you as I'm driving around the Bay Area. So, <laughs> very cool. I, I, I was a wackadoodle on, when I recorded the show today, so you, <laughs> you'll probably be laughing at me. <laughs> I will. I will. Definitely. I will leave you comments. About yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, so I'll we'll end with my pick of the week. Sometimes I don't. Well, normally lately I haven't been giving picks of the weeks. We'll let you guys do it. But I, this week I feel compelled to because I've. Uh, recently taken delivery of the Amazon Echo. Now, this isn't really photography-related, other than it belongs to a photographer now. So, uh, But uh, the Amazon Echo is this device that sits in my office behind me and is essentially like Siri for my house, right? So I can ask it questions. I can have it do calculations. It can read my calendar to me. It can order stuff from Amazon Prime. It can play my Prime Music Library, all that stuff. And it, obviously it's an Amazon device, so it's designed, hopefully, that you'll be buying stuff through it. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to do a live demo here and see if it works and see if you guys can hear it. So check this out. So you address it by name and then ask it a question. So I've already tested this and hopefully this will work again. Alexa, Wikipedia, This Week in Photo. Transgender awareness. <laughs> Alexa, stop. She, she got it wrong. She started reading a Wikipedia article on transgender awareness. I, Fred, I thought you said you had nothing to be ashamed of. Hey, I'm proud of it. Hey, no one knew. You know, I'm proud. But it, normally it works. I don't know why it didn't work. Normally, Amazon Echo works pretty well. Let me try again. Let me try again. You could not pay me enough money to do this demo. I know. Let me try again. Let me try again. <laughs> Alexa, what time is it in Scotland? The time in Scotland is 3.08 a.m. on Tuesday. There you go. Finally. There you go. All right. It got it right. So it does work, and I have been using it. It's, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool device. It was uh, it was a hundred bucks as a prime special thing, and it's normally two hundred bucks. So I don't know if they're selling them now. I think you have to get on a waiting list or something. But it is pretty cool, except for that whole you know getting <laughs> getting this week in photo confused with transgender. <laughs> I have no idea what that's about, but you know. Just stop right there. Tell me something. I don't know. Just, just stop right now. Just, just stop. stop. Just stop. Let it go. Let it fade to black. Right. Yes. All right, guys. Before we sign off, uh, what do you guys have coming up in the coming months? Barry, next. What's going on with you? Any workshops? Any big projects coming up? Uh, not not right now, but I got some great uh, great interviews in store. Cool. Um, so it's really exciting. I've been. Uh, there's some amazing work that I've, I've seen, so I'm trying to uh, um, procure some some uh, interviews with some just phenomenal people. Cool. Uh, but, uh, yeah, people don't have to wait for that. They can just go back into the, you know, recent history and just check out some great interviews. I did uh, one. Cool 
Yeah. Yeah. I did a, a two-parter with uh, Colin Westerbeck, who was the co-author of uh, Bystander, a History of Street Photography. And uh, even if you're not interested in street photography, that conversation is just fantastic. So, you know, if you've never listened to the Candid Frame or you haven't listened to a while, take a listen to those two episodes because you're in for, for a treat. Very cool. Yeah, and I got to give you I got to give you kudos cuz you're the way that you conduct your interviews are very smooth and very you ask the right questions. You ask the questions that are on my mind that I'm hoping that you would ask and you somehow hear me and ask those questions. So, congratulations. Very very good. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Baronex. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. All right. Mr. Derek Story, what's coming up in your world over the next month or so? Well, in terms of workshops, we'll be in Eastern Sierra in June. That one's sold out, but then we do the, the fall workshop uh, in October where we go to Safari West and we shoot landscape and model shoot. It's the big one, and uh, that one's still got a few seats. And then I am just shooting like mad right now because, you know, everyone everyone has work at the moment, so I'm loving it. So you're actually a real photographer? You're a working photographer doing your thing? I am a real photographer. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, one of my biggest clients is uh, up here in the, in the North Bay, and they're the largest uh, credit union, and, you know, stuff ends up in print and on billboards and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, it, it's really helpful because if you're a teacher and, and you're working, uh, it, it's. I, I just think that your teaching is more relevant. Yeah. Yeah. When you're. Yeah. You're. You're actually practicing what you preach, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 you get to tell stories about your stupid mistakes, you know, <laughs> which, which, which people love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on, Derek. I appreciate it. As you bet. All right, and before we go, I want to uh, Doug Kay, our host from All About the Gear, wanted me to mention to you guys that he has a few slots left for his November workshop in Cuba. If you want to uh, go check that out, just go over to dougkay.com/workshops. He's trying to get more people on that workshop, so please support our TWIP host, Mr. Doug Kay. Cuba. All right, guys. I, yeah, I know Cuba. I'm. It's on my list, man. It is on my list. All right, we are at the end of another episode of TWIP. I want to thank our sponsors, Panasonic, Lumix Cameras, Lynda.com, and FreshBooks for their support of the show. And be sure to visit our website over at thisweekinphoto.com where you'll find all of our shows, including Barry Next Perillo's The Candid Frame. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.